gotta do what I feel Every day super broke, get a well I put a lot on myself Hey guys, welcome back for our second episode of the semester. I'm Lucas Whitaker. I'm here with my co-host. I'm Dylan Hale. And we have two very special guests with us today. I'd like them to introduce themselves. What's up, everyone? My name is Chad Martini. I'm a freshman here at Cornell University, quarterback for the football team. Really excited to talk on the show right now. What's up, everyone? I'm Sean Ryan. Uh, I'm a Georgetown freshman um, from New York, and I'm excited to be here as well. So, guys, obviously, we're almost a week out of the Super Bowl. What are your first impressions? I thought it was a good game. I could have been a little better, but definitely exciting. And I thought the end was fitting. You know, the question going in, you go back to last week's show, I was talking about how is the Bengals offensive line going to put up with Aaron Donald and the Rams front and all that. And look, at the, <laughs> look at the last play of the game. The last play of the game was – the last two plays, actually, was just Aaron Donald dominance getting through the line. Burroughs hurry, just basically just throws the ball in the dirt – I think that was a fitting end to the Bengals' season and to everything. Obviously, hats off to Burrow, hats off to the effort they put up. But like I said, the better team found a way to win. The Rams' stars outplayed the Bengals' stars. And in big games like that, that's what gets it done. Yeah, I mean, I definitely thought it was more enjoyable than the last time the Rams made it to the Super Bowl. But um, I personally would like to see the Bengals win. I would like to see Joe Burrow's Cinderella story uh, finish off and be complete. But – Better team won. We knew the Cincinnati offensive line would fold at some point. It looked pretty strong in the first half, but right in the second half, it completely different ball game. Aaron Donald really took over. Even Von Miller helped out, but overall, great game. Yeah, I think Stafford just did what he had to do. Stafford's a professional winner. He, he knows how to make the plays to win the game. He, he didn't stat line wasn't crazy. Didn't have too many crazy flashy plays, but he just made the throws and did what he had to do, and that they came out on top. Yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the day, as it comes with a lot of games, it comes down to the trenches. And we really saw that in the second half of this game, just the, the Rams pass rush taking over, whether it was Aaron Donald, Von Miller, Leonard Floyd, even Greg Gaines getting in there with some interior pressure a bit. Really saw just the Bengals couldn't hold for the entire game. And meanwhile, you know, the, the Bengals pass rush just wasn't able to get enough. You know, they stopped the run. And then, thank God, Sean McVay and the Rams kind of ditched the run game because yeah. it was just – completely ineffective they were just third and long like every time you looked up basically um but you know i guess you know good game planning wins raheem morris did a great job with the defense and you got to give props i mean the better team won a great story while it lasted for the Bengals, but alas you know joe shiesty was not able to get that ring i think it's he did all he could Early in the game, I thought the game plan pretty well. He also got well. hurt. Like, he's he played with his brain hips. Burrow played smart early. They made sure to get him a lot of quick game throws, getting the ball out fast, six, ten-yard throws. But then they caught up to him, and he ended up throwing 250 yards. But if you take away the questionable, controversial long play to Higgins, which was a touchdown and a deep, beautiful one-handed catch to Chase, it's not as good on the stat sheet, but he gave it his all at the end of the day. Yeah, you know, I really thought the receiver play was – kind of an underrated part of this game, especially with Odell Beckham. I mean, coming from a Jets fan and a Giants hater, seeing Odell come off to a start like that, I thought that was really impressive. I would have loved to see him continue it off. But, I mean, prayers out to him with his ACL injury. But, I mean, even T. Higgins, even with his questionable touchdown, just seeing T. Higgins and Jamar Chase be able to work against Jalen Ramsey was really something else. And then, of course, Cooper Cup being Cooper Cup. Yeah. Eight catches, 92 yards, two touchdowns, and an MVP on top of that. Just 
really wraps up his brilliant season here. Yeah, they were really an automatic connection that last drive. Like, I think Stafford basically looked for him on almost every play of that drive. And it's just, I mean, you leave Eli Apple on an island the majority of the time against, you know, a receiver like Cooper Cup or really any receiver, something bad is bound to happen to your team. I mean, it it, it was kind of Luana Rumo's done such a good job with this defense throughout the playoffs. You know, you especially can cite the Chiefs game where they completely neutralized any effect that Mahomes had um, in that second half. And then, you know, having a really good game plan, getting turnovers on the Rams, you know, baiting Stafford with some throws, especially like the Bates interception, you know, it, it was kind of weird. It's like their second best weapon is out of the game for the second half. And yet you put your worst corner. I mean, Ouzier was having a, a bit of a shaky game. Mike Hilton was having a good game. You know, you just throw Eli Apple, especially goal line, just leave him on an island, no help. No you know, he's playing the inside. Their cup gets outside. It's an automatic touchdown, yeah. which it was. It's kind of confusing from that point. Um, Rams defense, again, just did really well throughout the game. And I think, you know, someone on the defensive side should have won the, the MVP for that game. But, you know, it's hard to say no to two touchdowns getting you a Super Bowl MVP. Yeah, no, I think Aaron Donald was snubbed of the MVP. I think two sacks, four tackles, doesn't look crazy on a stat sheet. But if you watch the game and saw the last two plays, they, they don't win the game without him. And I think that's the definition of valuable. And um, I think he was the guy who should have should have gotten it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, I think if it weren't for that last drive by the Rams, I think it probably would have came down to him. But, I mean, that last drive really is a testament to Cooper Cup and how good he is because you look at the Rams' leading receivers, the third leading receiver is Bryson Hopkins, and no disrespect to him, I don't even know who that is. Daryl Henderson is a fourth leading receiver, and he's their backup running back. I mean, they're playing without Higby. Except their second-string tight end was banged up, and he didn't get any reps. They're playing without Robert Woods. They're playing without Odell Beckham for a whole half. You know the last drive. The ball is going to Cooper Cup, and he's still able to do everything he did just as good as he's been doing it the whole season. I mean, I think that drive really sealed off his MVP in that game. We talked last week. For the first time in a while, it felt like there wasn't really a villain in this. There was no matter what the end result was, America's going to be happy. And I think every football fan, no matter how much you love the game, how much what team you're a fan of, is happy for Matt Stafford after where he's been in his career. Saw the stat, Detroit. Not the camera one. Detroit was up there in cities for most viewership in this game. They had his back. And I think with the career he's had, it just it felt good to see him end up on top. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, you're so conditional losing every year, and then you have one team. Every one year with a new team and you win it all is kind of crazy, especially after – I mean, the teams that he had with the Lions really – recently have been that bad but you know you talk about the early mid 2010s i mean there were some very talented teams with good defenses megatron, too. Too. megatron mm-hmm. i mean golden tate marvin jones a lot of really talented receivers out there yeah. um kenny galladay just not being able to get it done and you know not ever making any noise in the playoffs to winning a super bowl is 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 a testament to i guess how how well of a connection he had with cooper cup and how you know the Rams and Leslie just brought everything together and we're finally able to hit just like going for it works. And yeah. I hope it leads to more teams, you know, going forward in the future, like getting rid of all their first round picks, you know, because if it results in a Super Bowl, who cares at the end of the day about a 22 year old? Yeah. I mean, I think it's really going to be interesting to see how these two teams come across next year because 
from like you just said, the Rams really have no picks for the next few years. And the Bengals, I mean, as great as it was seeing them win and stuff, but they had a really nice path to get here, especially with the AF their with their division being all banged up with the Steelers having bad quarterback play, the Browns having bad quarterback play. Lamar Jackson being out for a while. I mean, as much as I would love to see Joe Burrow make another Super Bowl, hopefully win one, I just don't know how realistic it is. And I don't want to talk bad about the Bengals, but if they can't get a good O-line, then, I mean, I don't know how much longer Joe Burrow is going to be in the league. It could be another Andrew Luck story. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do in the offseason. And if the Rams – from what I've seen, I don't even know if they have the cap space to bring back (laughs) half these players. So that's going to be a very interesting part of it part of the game. Yeah, all I'm hearing is the Bengals are young, this, Bengals are young, that. I guess who else is young? The Chiefs are young, the Bills are young. I don't think anybody here is sitting and saying that the Bengals are more talented than the Chiefs or the Bills. You know, Chargers still, are young. Chargers as well. You, you got to, probably going to have the Ravens back in the picture. Mm-hmm. Um, so Burrow, I mean, it seems like, wow, he just finished college two years ago and Jamar Chase fresh out of college. T. Higgins is fresh out of college. Look how big this window is, but I think the window's closing for them and like, like Chad said, they had a, a perfect path at seed this year. Not the, a path that they earned, don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. But I don't know if the cards are going to play like this. And a lot of losing quarterbacks throughout history, unfortunately, never get another shot in the big game. And I think this could be one of those cases. But that being said, there's a lot of fight in Joe Burrow. He's been through a lot of adversity and he could get there. But I, mean, I don't know if he's going to beat Patrick Mahomes twice in the same season ever again. So we'll see. Yeah, no, I think we can't talk enough about how good Sean McVay is as a coach. He's the youngest coach in the league. Uh, hired in 2017, Rams were 4-12 and the year before. He's gone to the playoffs five straight years. I think he's just – I would say he's the best coach in the NFL. I think he has a good roster, but he, he puts it together. And I think him switching late and kind of going away from the run game is a testament to him being, um, being able to adapt. And I think that the Rams will be good going forward as, as long as he's on the helm. Yeah, I think even just the scheme that they have in place and what they've done with the core of developing players, you know, we mentioned that they don't have first-round picks and they haven't, I don't remember the last first-round pick they even had, but um, I think it, was it even golf? It might have been golf. It might have been golf. But they develop a lot of mid-late-round guys. You look at their secondary, especially, obviously, it's headlined by Jalen Ramsey, but they also, you know, all their safeties and, you know, nickel corners and everything. Some of them are undrafted guys, you know, just developing those skills and then having the stars to really carry it. Obviously they've invested a good amount in Aaron Donald and Leonard Floyd and now Von Miller, but then you also have a lot of, you know, mid late round guys who help fill those gaps and really, I mean, make it a complete unit um, with their linebackers too. So I think, I think they're in good shape. Um, You know, it's, it's hard to say a team's not in good shape when they have Jalen Ramsey and Aaron Donald on their defense, obviously and then have the weapons that they'll have on offense, even if Odell leaves and Woods coming off of surgery. Woods has been one of the most consistent receivers in the NFL, and Cooper Cup's definitely like a top three receiver right now after the season he just had. Um, Cam Akers and Higby and everything like that. I mean, it's it's a very talented team, and they always find a way to make the money work, and there's no reason to really expect them to stop now that they're coming off their peak. Well, I mean, you say you say talented with Jalen Ramsey and Aaron Donald, but I mean, honestly, I think the Rams' biggest worry right now is if Aaron Donald's going to return to play or not, because there was a rumor going around before the Super Bowl that if he wins it, it would be his last season. And I know he was hesitant to answer the questions right after the Super Bowl ended, but I mean, it seems like it's pretty realistic that 
within the next couple of weeks, maybe months, that we'll hear Aaron Donald's retiring. So I think that's what, probably one of their biggest worries right now. I think I saw something recently that said he's he's coming back, um, but I'm not. It's probably too early to tell. Yeah. Yeah, it's a long off season. We'll see. Yeah, he especially. I don't think the off season really exists for him. No. Yeah, yeah that's true. Um, what w- was there any part of the Super Bowl that like surprised you guys a lot in the turnout, like the way it was played or anything like that? Yeah, we could talk about the halftime show. I, I loved it. I thought it was great. <laughs> I mean, 50 Cent hanging upside down was something special for sure, but the whole operation was amazing. One of my favorites personally all time. What did you guys think about it? Yeah, I mean, I definitely thought it was great. I mean, it was really reaching to a different audience than you usually see in Super Bowls because this was the first hip-hop, rap genre, Super Bowl performance or halftime performance that we've ever seen. And, I mean, it definitely got a lot of love. I'm sure there was a few fans that thought it was – they weren't ready to adapt to a change in that Super Bowl halftime performance. But, I mean, I've had, I had no complaints for it. It was great seeing some big-name rappers and hip-hop legends out there yeah. doing their thing. Yeah, like how recently, too, it's been a lot of people from the area outside of, like, 50 Cent and Eminem. Yeah. Like, it's, it's local people. West I know Coast they Coast. tried doing that with the one in Miami, too, yeah. a little bit with Atlanta, even though it was mainly, like, Travis Scott, I think. But, you know, I, I hope that becomes more of a thing now too and really representing the city that they're that they're in um yeah i mean i thought going back to the football aspect of it i thought an interesting side of it was how long it took sean McVay to adapt to look we gotta start passing the ball now the running game isn't working because i mean i watched the super bowl with a bunch of football players and we all saw it early. The run game was not working. I mean, Cam Akers starting running back, 13 rushes for 21 yards, 1.6 yards a carry. I mean, it was evident that it wasn't working. And I thought McVay actually made the game much closer than it had to be by continuing to try and get the run game going. But, I mean, at the end of the day, they're Super Bowl champions. So, Yeah. I mean, I think just to wrap it up, you know, at least they moved off the run game. You obviously, I think, his past experience in the Super Bowl might have played an effect to that, just like trying to stick with the game plan and really, you know, you know your team at that point in the season, just try to ride it out, um, especially limiting turnovers for Stafford after you turn it over early. Um, moving on to another sport, we have reached the all-star break for the NBA. Very exciting time. We get to watch the dunk contest, the all-star game, and then really prepare for the best part of the season, which is the closing stretch or the regular season, at least. Um, A lot of big, big trade moves were made, kind of really reshaped the playoff picture, especially in the East. What are you guys like looking forward to in the second half of the season? Yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing the new Nets roster. I think the Nets, I mean, probably the biggest trade, the the Nets and the Sixers um, hardened to Philly um, and getting – Simmons and Curry to Seth Curry, obviously to Brooklyn. I think the Nets far and away won this trade. I think the the Nets needed um, they needed more defense. They needed more three point shooting. That's kind of the playoffs last year. What um, was their 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 reason they lost? And I think getting Curry, who's an underrated player and can really really shoot the ball and come off screens and make shots, and Simmons, who's a top five defender in the league and really a person who's who's underrated in my opinion because of how he. Um, how he played in the playoffs. I think Simmons is a guy who had a terrible series um, in, in the last playoffs and people really wrote him off as a guy who can't play and 
can't score. I think people forget how good he was and when he came into the league in his first few seasons. So I'm super excited to see how he meshes with um, Durant and Kyrie and really to see how the whole Nets roster can can go forward. I would say, I mean, I'm a Nets fan, so I'm a little biased. I would say the Nets are the clear title favorites. And I Come think on. that I think that uh, I I wouldn't be. I wouldn't be surprised to see them kind of blow through the Eastern Conference. I think the Buck series would be good, but I mean, I think they have guys. They have guys, and they have a good balance. I think Harden was too ball dominant for the the other two guys, and um, it was a great trade for the Nets front office. Yeah, I mean, from a biased Nets fan myself, also, I think the most underestimated part that you left out of that trade was the Andre Drummond pickup because that's one thing the Nets have been lacking: an interior presence, interior defense, and rebounding. They have guys, they have Nick Claxton, they have LaMarcus Aldridge, who are good bodies, but they're not physical enough when it comes down to the playoffs that they're not good enough rebounders. I mean, Andre Drummond's second game with the Nets, he brought down 19 rebounds, which is exactly what the Nets were looking for. But when it comes to title favorites, I'd as much as I'd like to say the Nets are going to win it all, I would still have the Bucks and probably the Suns over them right now, just because the Suns are playing the way the game should be played right now. They've I think they've lost one game since January 11th, which is unreal. And then the Bucks. I mean, I think Drew Holiday somehow in some way is still insanely underrated. They have Chris Middleton, who when he's on is just as good of a scorer as anyone in the league. And then Giannis, who clearly proved that he's not a playoff fluke last year. So, I mean, I think it's going to get hard to get past them. And especially if Joe Harrison can come back to the Nets, which is an, another – forgotten piece that the Nets have had this whole year ever since he had his ankle surgery and it's still they're still not sure when he's going to come back what his timetable is if the Nets don't get Joe Harris back it might mess a few things up for them especially spacing wise but I mean I still think the trade was a really great trade for both teams and I would like to see what James Harden and Joel Embiid could do as much as I dislike Harden for how he went out in Brooklyn especially coming off him with a bad ending in uh, Houston a little bit over a year ago. I don't think he had the right mindset just to walk out like that, but I think him and him and uh, Embiid could be pretty deadly, and they're definitely a team to look out for come playoffs. I think switching the flow up for a second, I'm excited to see on the West Coast what will happen with the Lakers because we've all been LeBron, not necessarily LeBron fans, not all of us, but we've grown up watching LeBron our whole lives, and I think personally the the rest of his career almost comes down to the next few months to see what happens with the Lakers. Obviously, Anthony Davis, we all saw he's he's injured every other day. It's, it's starting to look like. Um, but that team, can they can go one of two ways. They can either elevate their play. Russell Westbrook's obviously going to have to step up. He's getting as much hate almost as Simmons at this point. Um, and LeBron, you know, he's he's carried his whole, his whole life, but I don't know if he still has – the power to carry it on and carry the team on his shoulders, especially if they end up like the eight seed again, like we were talking about last week, where they have to go to Phoenix and play a series there. Like, I don't know if LeBron's going to want to keep playing in his career if it just ends up in a first round exit every year. So we're going to have to see what happens with that. Can they have Davis healthy? And then similarly, I'm really excited to see the rest of the Golden State Warriors season, see Clay and Steph back together in the playoffs. With Draymond, I mean, if that team's healthy, you got Wiggins. If Draymond's healthy. Then. Wiggins is now an all-star starter. Um, yeah, I know that gets some laughter Astrid. about that, but you got Wiseman. If he's healthy, if that team is healthy, I'd love to see them back in the finals, and I think we would all love to see them back in the finals. So we'll see what happens there.
Yeah. yeah. I think the, the picture in the West is just really interesting. Obviously, East, we touched upon that a bit. But the West, this, the way the Suns have looked, I think they're just the odds-on favorite right now because yeah. they're just a buzz. So, like, they're beating them in a seven-game series looks impossible right now, no matter who you are. I think with the Lakers, I think just it is just shown that he's not reliable enough, especially for LeBron in this point of his career, where I think they need to move on. Either that's AD being moved or, or LeBron being moved this offseason. Um, I don't think they have enough talent to really make any noise outside of LeBron. I think that roster is just pretty weak and they didn't do anything at the deadline, which would remotely change it. Um, the Warriors are a really fun team. It's just if they're able to get right now, they just lack so much inside and so much rebounding. Um, Kevon Looney's just a non-factor at this point. He's their only really true center. Um you know, if you can get Wiseman back, but that's been a, an if for the last like three years, basically, um, even dating back to like college and high school. Like, you know, I was surprised they haven't gotten anyone outside of that in the past like week or two. Um, it's going to be really interesting, I guess, in the West, just seeing if basically who's healthy and who can make a stretch. Because we saw that especially last year. It's, you know, really who can stay healthy, especially with the planes and who can, who can go out there and win games. The Grizzlies are a really exciting team in the West this year, the way that they're playing, the way Jaws playing and the way the pieces that they've put around him have been playing. Jaron Jackson Jr. should probably be the defense player of the year. So I think we're in for a really good stretch run towards the end of this season. Yeah. I mean, I, I clearly, I obviously don't think the Lakers are a real title contender, especially at this moment, but it just seems like people still forget that LeBron James is LeBron James. Yes. He still is arguably a top two player of all time. And, I mean, I know he's 37, but he's still putting up the same numbers he was putting up nearly 20 years ago. And so they still have Russell Westbrook, who is an NBA 75 player. They have Anthony Davis. And best case scenario, his timetable is four weeks right now. Let's say he comes back in six weeks. They could still make a little bit of a push at the end of the regular season. But, I mean, I think the buyout market's actually going to be pretty interesting for the Lakers. I can see someone like Goran Dragic coming into the Lakers and making a real big difference because Russell Westbrook is showing that he doesn't have the ability to run the offense for them right now as much as they'd like him to. He just has one speed when it comes to him. And I would love to see Russell Westbrook kind of return back to his older days, but I don't know how likely that is right now. So someone like Goran Dragic, who could come in and has a three-point ability, which the Lakers desperately need, can pass the ball, can play the game the right way. And, I mean, I think that's something that the Lakers should really take a look at. And, I mean, they have their key pieces, but, I mean, I think Malik Monk is, like, their second-best player right now. So if you have LeBron James and Malik Monk as your top two players for the next four to six weeks, I mean, it doesn't look too pretty as of now. Yeah, I mean, I still think that not enough people are talking about the Chicago Bulls. They're first in the East, really legit MVP candidate in DeMar DeRozan. He just broke Wilt Chamberlain's record. He had eight games in a row, 35 points or more uh, on 50% or better shooting. So this guy is a legit top three MVP candidate, plus Zach Levine, who's who's an all-star and really all-NBA guy. Lonzo Ball, Al, um, Caruso, guys who like are just – great all-around players. They make winning plays. And even guys coming off the bench like Kobe White. Kobe White had 31 last night. I mean, they have they have real guys and they're a cohesive unit. Um, and and they're they're showing it. They're first in the East. So 
The question for them is, can they do it in the playoffs? They have a lot of guys who really don't have a lot of playoff experience. Um, they've been bad for a while, but we'll see. I mean, I think they're, they're playing together and they've had a ton of injuries too. They haven't even really been healthy much all year. So I'm really excited to see the Bulls second half of the season and to see if they can really make a push in the playoffs. And one thing I'm unfortunately excited for, and I think Lucas, you are as well as Nick fans. I'm excited to, to stop having to watch Nick's basketball every few nights. Just, <laughs> just a couple, a couple days off. You do come off. Off. I mean, the all-star break is nice, but I mean, every, every few nights they set you up for heartbreak and they deliver. I mean, it's we, worse every single game. We were all, we were all watching the, the absolute meltdown at the garden the other night against the JV nets that took place. Cam Thomas looked like the second coming of Steph Curry at the end of that one. Um, but it's unbelievable to me. I don't, I mean, I guess this has been the theme of his coaching career, but Tom Thibodeau literally went from, from riches to rags. He was last year, the coach of the year. And not only was he the coach of the year, I think like that wasn't really something that anybody would disagree with. It was like, him and Monty, but they both were so deserving where you couldn't say no. Like, yeah. Tibbs should no one's, gotten. no one was questioning that. And that Knicks roster to, to host a playoff series, obviously that was a disaster itself. But to host a playoff series with what they had to start with, like that was incredible. And now they're blowing 20-plus point leads to teams they shouldn't be losing to. I'd cross them out as a playoff. They're not going to make the playoffs this year. So now in a span of months, we're wondering, is Thibodeau's time in New York over? So we'll find out. But something needs to change in New York. There's a lot of different opinions on what, what needs to change, but this is getting hard to watch. I mean, the early excuse for the Knicks – this year, obviously, it started off red hot for like a couple games, but it was it was Randall's lack of effort. It was him not being able to shoot and being super indecisive with the basketball in his hands. And then just the bench playing lights out, basically, but the starters being stagnant and after a while just not being able to produce. You know, they had a negative net rating and the, the bench had a like. I think they were at like plus eight a game. Basically, it was it was a ridiculous stat. But now the bench has fallen off. You know, just a, a million questionable, questionable decisions. R.J. Barrett was a, a complete buzzsaw for like a, a week span. And then you have men while they're getting blown out in the last seconds of the game. He's played over 40 minutes in the game and he's still playing and he ends up hurting his ankle and he's been out now, I think, over a week. And he'll, he'll, be, he'll be missing at least two, three weeks of, ga- of games when he's at least at – He's probably he's their best player. He's yeah. at, at worst their second best player, and he's 21 years old. It's it's ridiculous. Um, it's just the Knicks are so frustrating to watch because even when they get those early leads, they'll blow it. They have Alec Burks starting at point guard and initiating the offense in the fourth quarter, and then they score three points in like the span of seven minutes against the Thunder, who are the worst defensive team in the league without their two best players in Lou Dort and Shea Gilgis Alexander. So it, it's it's just maddening to watch this team. It's illogical. They don't know how to run an offense. And, you know, I think a lot of that does lie on the coaching staff, whether it's Dibs or assistant coaches. Um, you know, it's 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 just maddening. And there's no excuse for what's happening currently with that roster because they put too much into it. And, I mean, you have Taj Gibson starting playoff games last year, yes, but they're – you know, Mitchell Robinson has been on an absolute tear. Julius Randle's putting up points. Evan Fournier has been shooting, like, 45 he had a stretch where he was shooting like 45 percent from three for a month and yeah. i mean there's there's just no reason you should be losing these games especially in the fashion that they're losing them in yeah i mean coming from a nets fan it you just want to see the Steve Knicks nash might be worse than tips oh he's up there on certain stretches but i mean you just want to see the Knicks do good i mean 
basketball is just much better when the Knicks are winning games and like especially like a Nets Knicks cross river cross town rivalry like there's no reason that you should be able to hear Brooklyn Nets fans chanting in MSG in the fourth quarter of a basketball game yeah. as tight as it was because Nets fans is probably one of the worst fan bases in the NBA and I'm embarrassed to say that but it's true because James Harden gave me half price tickets to the playoff games last year because they couldn't sell tickets. But I mean, the fact that Kevin Durant was able to tease Knicks fans saying that he thought he was at Barclays for a second during that game yeah. is just, it, it's painful to Knicks fans and to see Knicks fans have to go through that after seeing such a positive year last year, hoping for the same thing to come around this year and for it to not, it's just, it, it's just sad for them. And then, I mean, looking at Tibbs, I saw in his presser after the loss against the Nets where they're up 28 in the first half, find a way to lose that game. He still kind of says the same thing where it's like, oh, well, we got hot at the end of the year last year. Instead of owning up to what just happened in the game where the unthinkable happened, where you blow a 28-point lead, he just continues to kind of push it off and say, oh, well, hopefully we'll be better at the end of the stretch. So, I mean, it, it, I just don't think Thibs is the right fit there anymore. I don't know who the right fit would be, but it has to be someone else, it, anyone really at this rate. But, I mean, if you, especially looking at playing, Emmanuel quickly was tearing up the Nets in that game. He was playing phenomenal. He wouldn't miss a shot. And then he gets subbed out for Alec Burks, who was one for five in the game. And the tempo just completely switches because you have Emmanuel quickly who's able to get down floor to pick up the pace to be effective in the pick and roll, throw the lob, take the floater, and then you just take him out. It changes the whole game for the Nets' defensive scheme. And then even guys like Obi Toppin, who I hear Knicks fans love. I don't watch Knicks fan. I don't watch Knicks games enough to be able to tell if he's really legit now. Because I saw he was kind of a fluke last year, but they say his plus minus is good. He's playing much better. He's fun to watch. And then I see him get six, seven minutes a game, which I just that's the part of Thibodeau to me that I don't understand. But yeah, I mean, I think it's time for Knicks fans to accept that as long as Dolan is is the owner, it's just they're not going to be a legitimate title contender. I think one story that kind of attests to this is, I mean, Kevin Durant has now come out and said that his first choice in free agency was to be a Nick, and Dolan wouldn't schedule a meeting with him or they couldn't figure it out. I mean, what what how how does that happen? How does that happen? This guy is a top three player in the NBA, and you could you he wants to go to your franchise, and you can't find time to schedule a meeting with him. I mean, there's no excuse. It's just. It, but the Rangers are good. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. like no, I, I don't know. I think he needs to sell the team. He needs to sell the team. And he's he's fighting with Charles happen. Oakley. I mean, it's just it's 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 a circus. It's a circus. It's not a real franchise right now. So it's it's um I think he's got to get rid of the team and then and then hopefully things can turn around. But they they definitely need a, a big change, whether that's him, Tim's or big kick whatever. in the butt. They need something because it, it's you know, we talk about the Knicks Nets game and Emmanuel quickly. As Chad said, was playing out of his mind. He finally he was in a bit of a cold stretch, but then was catching fire that game. He's a much better defender than Alec Burks at this point, and he's a better playmaker too. To take him out of the game for Alec Burks, who shoots like he makes like thirty percent of his layups. I think it might actually be less than that. He went like, one for five in the game. He, he was, goes consistently he was like two of eleven and just chucks up the worst shots I've ever seen. Especially in clutch time, he just foul baits and he never gets a call because he just flails around. Like it's just it's so pathetic to watch this team on a nightly basis. You know, just it's so inexplicable. You know, we talked about Obi Toppin, right? Obi Toppin plays like eight minutes game. He'll make three really nice plays. 
in a row, then the first like little mistake he makes, Tibbs pulls the trigger on him. It just pulls him out. And it's just, it's, it's, it doesn't make any sense when you have so much young talent on the team. You know, you talk about Quentin Grimes, who's finally starting RJ Barrett, you know, Sims look good in spots, not playing Deuce McBride at all. Even when you don't have like a single point, other point guard on the roster outside of Kembo, who basically is playing on one leg. Like it, it's, it's a, it's a brutal watch when you've invested, when you, you have stockpiled a lot of good young talent, especially like Cam Reddish now and just aren't implementing it even when the results of the converse are just the worst starting lineup in the league. So it just, it, it doesn't make any sense. It's the literal definition of insanity. Yeah. I mean, I think, I, I don't know how I forgot about the Cam Reddish part. I, I think that's probably one of the worst stories that the Knicks have had this whole year. I mean, how do you give up a first round pick? And I mean, Kevin Knox, uh, they gave Knox him on looked Kevin good Knox. when he played. I mean, on the offensive end, at least defensively, he was pretty lost, but he yeah. was improving this year. It just, it, it's, it's maddening. Yeah. But I mean, how do you give up a first round pick for a guy who I really still believe in and trust in and Cam Reddish? I mean, I thought he was the most NBA ready at Duke. That might sound crazy as good as RJ and Zion were. I thought he had the most complete package. That's not saying I thought he'd be the best player. I just thought he'd be the one that would go in and adapt the first or the quickest. But how do you trade a first-round pick for the guy? And Thibodeau and Dolan aren't on the same page that Thibodeau claims he didn't even really want to get Cam Reddish. So now you gave up a first-round pick. You're not playing the guy. You're playing him about five minutes a game or whatever. And then you look to trade him before the trade deadline again. It just – it's things like that that really question the Knicks ownership and the Knicks front office and coaching. It's it's just hard to look at. Yeah, let's try to talk about something positive and spin it. You know, <laughs> right? We're, we've been kind of down on ourselves these past couple minutes. Who are your favorites for the MVP right now? I'm I'm a Demar Derozan guy. I think Derozan. I mean, it could be some recency bias as he just broke Wilt's record, but I think I mean the Bulls. The Bulls starters have missed more than 90 games combined already this season. And DeRozan has been the only guy who's been playing every game, have putting up crazy numbers. Um, and it could be like the D-Rose MVP, a bit of a storyline MVP, because as he got traded from Toronto in a sad situation and kind of being able to revive himself and come back, it's a great story, which fits that criteria. He has great stats, and they're the one seed in the East. So I think it checks all the boxes. I'm really curious to see how he – the second half of the season goes. I mean, if he can keep up putting 30 a game up and the, the Bulls can stay stay really at the top of the East, I think I think he's the favorite for MVP in my opinion. Yeah, I, I mean, I think you have a great point in taking DeRozan, but coming from a Nets fan, once again, I think Embiid is the favorite, and I hate to say that, especially now that Harden's there. But, I mean, there was a span in January where Embiid was averaging more points per game than minutes per game, which is just absolutely unreal. And just seeing the things he could do, especially last night, I think he had 42-14 and 14 in a win over the, the Bucks without Harden, who's their next big thing now. So they were short on players in that game. But, I mean, he's hitting step-back threes. He's catching the ball in the mid-range mid and one jab set, putting a shot up. He gets to the free throw line probably 12 times a game now. It's, I mean, I, I just think he's the most unstoppable player in the NBA right now. I don't know if he's the best player in the NBA, but I think he's the most unstoppable. And the season he's putting up and the fact that he's been able to stay healthy, which has been the biggest part for him, 
I think he is deserving of the MVP right now. I think in sports, there's certain players and certain things where fans start to expect a certain level of greatness, almost to the point where they, they don't even really react when it happens. Like, for example, Mahomes will throw five touchdowns on a Sunday and it won't it's casual. really – It's casual. It, it doesn't really get that much additional attention. And I think that's what's happening with Giannis right now, obviously back-to-back MVPs. And now no one really wants to con- – a lot of people don't really want to consider him in the MVP race. But in, in the past week, he had 50 against Indiana, 81% shooting, 44 against the Lakers, 85% shooting. His numbers this year off the charts, averaging 29, 11, and 6. And that the Bucks, I think, are going to end up the top team in the league. So, I mean, a lot of people won't want to see it, but I think Giannis deserves a third straight MVP. And he really is, I think, the best player on the planet and will be for a long time as, as long as he stays healthy. Yeah, and in my opinion, I don't think Steph Curry's uh, really in the race anymore. He had an unreal start to the season, but he's been putting up uh, concert tour dates the past <laughs> probably month and a half. I mean, still a great player, don't get me wrong, but I, I think he's out the picture. I think someone that we're forgetting from the West is Jokic. I mean, if you look at Jokic's PER per game and you look at Jokic's plus minus when he's on the court and off the court for the Nuggets, I mean, this guy is virtually unstoppable, just like Joel Embiid. He's able to pass the ball. He's able to rebound the ball super efficiently. He's able to score the ball, put the ball in the basket at ease. I mean, I just think his season is going so under the radar because of how poor the Nuggets are without him. And reminder, they're playing without – their other two best players in MPJ and uh, Jamal Murray, and they're still, who are they, top six in the West right now, top five in the West right now. And I mean, I think you cannot leave him out when you talk about MVPs in the NBA right now. Yeah, I mean, I think it's Embiid, too. He hit a ridiculous step back three last night, but just he's so physically imposing inside. And, you know, when he's healthy, he's finally, like, been healthy the entire season, and it's just an absolute pleasure to watch. We're, we're kind of blessed right now with a ton of guys. You know, we didn't even bring up Luca, who yeah. I think dropped like 49 yeah, last night. I mean, just consistently getting at least double doubles, sitting like near triple doubles every single night, you know, just all across, filling up the stat sheet. Um, John Morant, who's been crazy and, you know, being the catalyst for that uh, Grizzlies team, who's just exceeded all expectations this season. Um, you know, we're just in a really nice spot with the NBA and now we get a nice little break. Obviously it's, it's nice having, you know, stuff to pay attention to in the NBA outside of the Knicks where you can still watch basketball. Um, but kind of curtailing off those, those favorite players. What are some of the more like underrated storylines that you guys are looking at too? Obviously we just passed the trade deadline. CJ McCollum has been great. Sabonis has been really good for the Kings. Halliburton, I think had like 27 the other night. Um, who are the more like under the radar players that you guys are teams that you guys are looking at? I'm excited to see in the rest of the season and the playoffs, how these underrated teams fare against the giants, such as like even the Chicago bulls, but also the Cavaliers and the Grizzlies who are not never used to really seeing up at the top, but I mean, they're playing like it. They're at a high, high seeds right now, but I think the regular season we all know is a, is a, almost a different sport from the playoffs and that's basketball, that's football, that's hockey, that's whatever sport. So I think as good as like Cleveland is like right now, as it as season, if the season were to end the day, they'd host Milwaukee in a playoff series. And I don't think they're winning that one, but I'm really excited to see how these younger players who quickly become leaders of their teams are able to fare against the better players and teams in the league. So we'll have to see. Yeah. I mean, 
I'm going to touch more on the a player, in my opinion, that you brought up, C.J. McCollum. I mean, in his five games with the Pelicans right now, he's putting up 28 points per game on 55 and 42 uh, shooting splits. Like, he's unreal right now. He's another player who's just such a good scorer. I mean, he's just a natural scorer. His bag is unbelievable. I'd put it in the top five in the NBA. But, I mean, this year is not the year. They might be able to fight for a playing game. but. If Zion Williamson can get healthy, him, Brandon Ingram, and C.J. McCollum, and Jonas Valanciunas, who's averaging 18 points per game, is probably one of the better rebounders in the NBA. He's like 18 and 12 right now or something Yeah, crazy. something crazy yeah. like that. And he was even able to show his three-point ability this year, which I never knew he had. I mean, if they could get healthy next year, I'm not saying they're going to be a candidate to win it all, but, I mean, they'd be a team you wouldn't want to play in the playoffs. Yeah, I'm pretty excited to see how the Rookie of the Year race um, finishes up in the second half of the season. Right now, my Rookie of the Year is uh, Evan Mobley. I think he's averaging 14-8 and eight on efficient shooting splits um, on a really good Cavs team. So I think he is the front runner. But, I mean, there are other guys who have legit cases. I think Josh Giddy is a guy who's flying under the radar. He's really a, a do-it-all player in OKC who has been coming on strong. He had a really ridiculous game at MSG that everyone kind of saw. So I think that um, – That'll be, and there are other guys too, like Herb Jones is a guy that not a lot of people are talking about who is playing 35 minutes a game. He, he wasn't even a top a lotto pick. So I'm, I'm very excited to see how that, that finishes up. I think that Mobley is the front runner, but I mean, even guys like Franz Wagner and Wagner in, uh, in Orlando has a, has a legit yeah. case. So um, Jalen Green has not. <laughs> J, yeah. Jalen Green does not, but I, I think we'll see. And how will, how will Cade Cunningham be in the second half of the season? I think, there are a lot of, yeah, there are a lot of questions and, and I think this is a good rookie class. So I want to see how that, that finishes up. Yeah. I think we've had a really exciting rookie class just top to bottom. There have been a lot of really like just role players who've stood out who weren't lottery picks. You know, you touched on Herb Jones. There's also a um, Quentin Grimes who have all been really solid players. And then, you know, you look maybe not like the top draft picks of, been as good as we've seen like Jalen Green is an electric score he just needs to find kind of that consistency as does that entire Rockets lineup um Suggs hasn't been great but like Kuminga's looked really good recently as well talked about Giddy um you know there are a lot of exciting young players in the NBA I think we we're really seeing like this generational shift in the NBA that we started seeing maybe like four-ish years ago four or five years ago like Trey Young and Luca and everything and now it's kind of like all culminating together and there's this clear division where we're seeing, you know, players like Russell Westbrook, you know, on his way kind of out, obviously like John Wall is nowhere to be seen. Beals hurt again. Uh, but it's, it's cool seeing these young players, you know, you talk about Darius Garland and everything that's happening with the Cavs right now, Jared Allen. Um, it, it's just a very fun time in the NBA where a lot of, we're seeing a lot of blossoming talent, you know, a lot of new all-stars this year. Um, yeah, it's just a lot to look forward to in terms of young players, both in the rookie of the year race and just guys developing maybe in their second or third years like Desmond Bain. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm happy to see Cade Cunningham really start to come along in the new year. I mean, last year, it's too early to say he looked like a bust, but he just wasn't living up to the expectations that people had out for him. I mean, he's just such a good overall all-around player and to see him really pick it up in the month of January and February, which is nice to see. And then, I mean, Franz Wagner is a guy who 
when he got drafted by the Magic, a lot of people questioned it. They were like, they'd take Franz Wagner over a bunch of other talented players. But, I mean, he's putting up 15.6 points per game and then five rebounds and three assists for, yes, a Magic team who is basically like an AU team. They have a bunch of just random young players playing. So it may not look like a lot, but I think he's definitely exceeded expectations. And he's been a really fun player to watch because he's another player that plays the game the right way. He's a really tall, big frame. He could defend, he could get to the rim, he could shoot. I mean, he's just a really exciting player to watch. Yeah, I think building on what you're saying about kind of the, the new era of the NBA, I think it's it's kind of crazy how players have exploded statistically in the last few years. I think, um, I like, for example, Derrick Rose in his 2010 MVP season averaged 25 and 8. We were just talking about, you mentioned that Steph Curry's not really in the MVP conversation anymore. He's averaging 25 and 7. We're not even talking about him in the MVP on the same efficiency shooting that Derrick Rose did in his MVP season. So, and there, there are probably eight guys ahead of, ahead of Curry in the MVP race who have better stats than Derrick Rose did when he won it. And that was only 10 years ago. So I think that like seeing the new era of stats and just higher scoring and um, more efficiency and, and advanced, advanced metrics, I think that it's good for the NBA. It makes it more fun to watch and, um, I'm excited to see how these young guys blossom into into stars. Yeah, I mean, like you're saying, with the scoring, I mean, I, I just feel like 40-point games just go under the radar now. I mean, it just seems like the era and brand of basketball we're in right now, it's no shot to the defensive side of it. But, I mean, there's just so many good scores in the NBA right now. Like, I mean, Harrison Barnes put up, I think it was 39 points in one of the first games of the season this year. It's like – I mean, he's still Ed, dropping like 30. Yeah, he's still he's still playing great. I mean, but I mean, it's just a testament to how good the NBA players are right now, especially with scoring. I mean, you look at Trey Young, I think he has like the most 40 and 10 assist games out of anyone at his age. And Jaws putting up 40 and 10 games left and right now. It's just it's just a fun brand of basketball to watch. And there's definitely a passing of the torch going on. LeBron making his way out. Durant probably coming soon. I think even the best players in the league right now are the younger ones. So we're really entering a new fresh era of basketball. And I think it's hard not to be excited as a fan for what the future holds. Yeah. And that'll conclude our episode for this week. Thank you guys so much for listening and see you next time. Thank you.